What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here coming at y'all with another episode in our SEC in 30 days team going on this month. We are joined by Florida Football Insider for The Athletic. We've had a, a few guests from The Athletic, my, some of my favorite people to talk to. Great site over there. We're joined by G. Allen Taylor uh, today talking all things Florida football. And I just want to say I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Well, happy to be here, brother. Absolutely, absolutely. So we got to start with last year. It was an exciting year for Florida. I mean, SEC East champions, SEC championship appearance, a really good game against Alabama, New Year's Six Bowl appearance, eight and four, ranked in the top ten pretty much all season. Did this season meet, exceed, or fall short of your preseason expectations? You know, winning the East, I, th- I thought they would. I just thought Georgia had some quarterback troubles and, and certainly Florida – Trump Georgia with Kyle Trask, um, but you know once you get to to eight and one and you've got a chance to go into the SEC championship as a one loss team, where you know perhaps playing Bama fifty two forty six, you know might have even gotten them in the, the playoff. Who knows at that point? Um, but then things unraveled at the end there. You know the LSU game got away, and then the Cotton Bowl was just a no show uh, for various reasons. So. You know, three-game losing streak taken into the offseason. It's hard to say that that uh, satisfied anybody at Florida when they were, um, you know, really with A&M, LSU, and even Alabama just a couple plays away from being undefeated. So uh, uh, that that ending certainly took some of the sugar off the top. Right. And, I mean, you know, all year they were in the – Florida football was in the news, and it was mostly due to the emergence of Kyle Pitts. He was probably the most – him and Devontae Smith are the two most electric players in the entire country. Um, what made him such a matchup nightmare, and what do you think his NFL potential is going to be? I mean, his NFL potential as the highest drafted tight end in draft history is um, is is deserved. You know, I mean, I, I don't think it's out of the question that he becomes a, a generational type of tight end. Uh, you know, the guy who coached Antonio Gates at, at San Diego as an undrafted free agent uh, is the guy who mentored Kyle Pitts here last year at Florida. And so that's a pretty good barometer, right? When you're talking about guys with sort of basketball bodies that that really embrace football. So, you know, I think if he gets with the right uh, NFL coordinator who's not uh, stuck in conventional ways of thinking and and is okay letting him line up outside the number sometimes and and creating mismatches and obviously staying healthy i think the the kid has just got a tremendous future um you know he's he's just 21 so his body's not even that old he doesn't have a lot of mileage uh, out of college because he didn't play a lot his freshman year he's young overall and he's hungry and that that's the thing right when these guys get a little money and go to the NFL. Do they stay hungry? Do they want? Do they want to improve? And I think he checks all the boxes. Right. I mean, I was so impressed. Especially every time I turned on the TV, it was like, it don't matter if you put a linebacker, a corner, a safety, you doubled them. I mean, Kyle Pitts was going to be open and he was going to catch the ball. But also, Dan Mullen as the head coach has been labeled as one of the best QB developers, spanning all the way back to Dak Prescott at Mississippi State. That didn't change with Kyle Trask, who was kind of thrust into the limelight last season. No one knew who this kid was, and he set the world on fire down the stretch. 4,200 yards, 43 touchdowns in a COVID-shortened season, no preseason workouts, anything like that. This is kind of two-parters. We could take this one at a time, but the first question is, 
what makes Mullen one of the best offensive minds of the country? And then secondly, how was Trask able to even trump what he did at the end of last season? Well, you know, speaking of Mullen, I, I think he's not so ego-driven that his system has to work and he has to have guys to quote-unquote fit it. I mean, you look at some of the, the quarterbacks he ran out there at Mississippi State, their skill sets were all over the board. You look at what he's had at Florida going from Felipe – uh, to Kyle, um, and even working in Emory Jones, he'll go where the talent takes him, and he'll find a way to make that system work. Now, obviously, with recruiting, you have certain presets, right? You have certain defaults that you want to go get. But, you know, the fact that he can make Dak work, that he can make Nick Fitzgerald work, that he can make Alex Smith work, if you go all the way back to Utah, and Tim Tebow and Chris Leak, um, those guys aren't cookie-cutter by any means. And, and he's found a way to maximize them. So I think in that respect, um, you know, he'll, he'll take what you give him and, and, and do the most he can with it. And as far as Trask goes, uh, definitely a plus arm, but not one of these, you know, sit on one knee and throw it 80 yards to the uprights kind of guys. Uh, not very mobile, although, um, you know, surprisingly so, I guess, based on being 6'5". But, man, his ability to process – and to get the ball out quickly and go to the right spot, that's something that, um, you know, there's a premium on, not only in college football, but certainly in the NFL. And that's why I think maybe people didn't get wowed by him on any certain plays. They just saw the numbers uh, and kind of tapped him a system quarterback. But, man, your system is your system. And if you've got a quarterback who can run it, I'll take a system quarterback every day of the week. And so I think he's got a chance at the next level to, at worst, be one of these guys that is a backup for 8 to 10, 12 years. And if it gets the right opportunity, you know, you might be sitting here and he's a four, five, six, seven-year starter in the NFL because he, he sees things, he studies. He's never going to shortchange the ball club when it comes to being ready to play. Right. I, I feel like it was so hard to kind of – because, you know, I feel like Kyle Trask, you could even look at someone like Kellen Mond, maybe Davis Mills. They kind of got swept away in the NFL draft process, like, process because of those top five quarterbacks. Everyone was like, it's these five, and then there's everyone else. When I think Kyle Trask and Mond can both have really good careers. But, you know, I want to kind of switch over to recruiting. I love talking recruiting and what Florida does on the recruiting trail is amazing. Dan Mullen, one of the best recruiters in the country with his energy and everything, a top 12 class for this 2021 cycle headlined by five-star Jason Marshall. They also land multiple impact transfers. Um, DeMarcus Bowman sticks out former five-star running back for Clemson coming down to the Gators. What were the biggest positional needs, in your opinion, for this program? And who are some instant impact guys in this class that you can see being huge pieces to this 2021 run? Well, you mentioned Marshawn. He's he's a guy that, um, you know, uh, can probably play day one if they needed him to do so. I, I think they've got enough at the cornerbacks, at least for the first half of the season, to where, you know, they, they don't need him necessarily to line up day one. But He's tall, can run, takes it seriously, you know, comes from a good program, um, actually has enough athleticism to play on the on the offensive side of the ball as well, um, which tells you a little bit. But but he's the guy that um, that really, I, th- I think, stands out now and will stand out down the line. And somebody who I think has been overlooked is uh, someone who they got, uh, sort of came down to them in Auburn, and that was Jeremiah Williams out of Birmingham. He's just now getting the, to campus, so you didn't hear much about him this spring. But, man, smart kid, could have gone to Duke. Uh, 
played well, um, played for a, a program that had won a state championship, I think, the year before he, he became a starter. Uh, works his tail off. The, the coaches here say every time they would call him to touch base, he was at his job, you know, or working out. So I think uh, you've got a guy who might sort of fit that outside linebacker edge rusher mold uh, down the road. Uh, and then also uh, Marshall's teammate down there at Miami Palmetto is a, a safety, Corey Collier. And depending on which recruiting services you look at, one's a five-star here and one's a five-star there and the others, others are four-stars in the, in the others. But Collier's a guy who uh, I'm not sure it's a year one guy necessarily, but, man, he's going to bring some athleticism uh, to the back end of that defense. And I think he's a safety that will, you know, become a two- or three-year starter. Absolutely. And, you know, with Bowman, you also have Lorenzo Lingard, who transferred in last season, a former five-star. We saw this past season, if there was a criticism for Dan Mullen's explosive offense, it was the lack of running ability at times. Like there was times against A&M where if they could just have got a first down here or there, they really could have closed that game out. Same against LSU. What have you been kind of hearing from the running back room this spring? And do you think there's going to be a bigger emphasis on the run game this upcoming season? As we saw last year, that unit really struggled. Yeah, a couple of issues. I think it was really offensive line related more than anything. Uh, they weren't a good power blocking unit. Um, and, they, and to be honest, they were only uh, a slightly above average pass, uh, pass blocking. But, uh, you know, uh, Trask got him in the right place, and they had just such a good core receivers. Guys, uh, you know, I mean, Trayvon Grimes goes undrafted, and if you'd have seen him play against Alabama and against, and against Georgia, you'd have thought he was a first-day pick maybe. Um, so you had that, that mixture of Pitts, Grimes, uh, to one extent Copeland, and obviously another first-rounder with Kadarius Toney. And it became easier, I think, for Mom to say, look, let's pitch it out to Kadarius and get seven or eight versus let's try to you know run into a brick wall behind an offensive line that's not clearing a lot of space and maybe pick up three or four yards. So that's why I think he went pass heavy uh, last year and really the year before that. Their running backs are above average guys. Uh, I think they're all pretty good but not great, and that's why the addition of Bowman from Clemson maybe gives them that home run threat they just didn't have because he's got another gear, right? I mean, uh, you've got a, a mixture of guys there. Um, who are all returning, and Malik Davis, who's really good in the pass game, uh, Damian Pierce, who's more of a north-south between-the-tackles guy, and then uh, Naquan Wright, who's slippery, cutty, uh, but but really undersized. So I think when you throw Bowman in that mix, I would be surprised if he's not uh, leading this team in rushing You know, by the middle to the late stages of next season. And then you put in Emory Jones as a quarterback, and you've got the expectation that the running game is not only going to be more featured – but that is also going to be a lot more uh, uh, productive and consistent. Right. And, I mean, that's kind of where I wanted to shift to next. We mentioned Kyle Trask off to the NFL. Felipe Franks transferred the year before. So Emory Jones is going to have his chance as the number one guy for the Gators. We've seen a lot of hype behind Jones. There's NFL people who are saying he's going to be a top ten NFL draft pick in this upcoming class. He could be one of the best quarterbacks coming out. For people who don't know, what makes Jones special, and what are your expectations for him in 2021? I don't know that there's a player with a higher upside or a lower floor, right? I mean, if you told me that he, he took that job, secured it, uh, became a, a tremendous dual-threat quarterback, and they felt great about him at the end of the year, I would be like, I believe you because I know how hard he works. 
If you told me Anthony Richardson was Florida's starting quarterback by week five because the Gators had maybe lost to Alabama and maybe had another loss and weren't really in the SEC East race anymore, I believe it. Um, I know that there was, you know, speculation that if they didn't name him the starter coming out of spring, that he was good enough to go somewhere else and start. And he may be even in the SEC. So you expected him as the older guy to be tab number one. And Mullen sort of gave him the, the soft label as a starter. But then Mullen comes right back and says he's grooming two starters, uh, throwing Richardson in. So uh, I know that a lot of people here are rooting for Jones because, um, you know, sort of Trask-like, he's sat for three years and had only a bit role, but he hasn't taken off. You know, he hasn't jumped in the portal to go find the, the greener grass. And so now he gets a chance to start the school he chose. And of course, as you remember, uh, when, when Mullen came to Florida, his first job that December was flipping Jones from Ohio state. And, and who knows what the situation would have been had, had Emory wound up in Columbus. So, uh, you know, it's his time. He's got a chance. He's got two games against uh, USF and FAU that aren't really high-profile games to to settle into that starting quarterback job. So it's all there in front of him if he takes it, and uh, and I think he's going to give it a good go. But, you know, they're, they're, they're thrilled and with, with what they have behind him and Anthony Richardson as well, who's just a bigger version of, of Emory. Emory runs by guys, and Richardson runs over them. So. <laughs> I like it. And, I mean, they also have a commitment for 2022. It's a kid I really like out of Flower Mound. Nick Evers is committed to Florida, too. That kid is going to be a stud as well. I mean, he had like 25 touchdowns, six interceptions last year. But I want to move more. There's always breakout players. I mean, I, I mean Trask, I guess, technically could have been because, I mean, he had a great year. But 40-something touchdowns is outrageous. And then Kyle Pitts exploding. Who are some players you're looking for 2021's team to kind of break out, shine, and have their breakout season? Well, you know, Copeland's a top 100 recruit, but he's been injured one year, and then he's been sort of in that mix with Grimes, uh, Van Jefferson. Uh, I think, you know, Florida sent four receivers to the NFL the year before. Uh, so he's sort of been in the mix there, and now it's his time as a, uh, I guess, a fourth-year junior to really, to really show what what he can do. Uh, Xavier Henderson on the opposite side is the classic Florida outside receiver, six-three, can run, uh, is a matchup problem. Uh, he showed some some flash last year when he was able to play. Uh, another receiver that I'd look for that's a tremendous athlete is Trent Whittemore. Uh, he's he's like the the team's dunk champion. He and Anthony Richardson, and so. They like him outside. He's 6'4". I mean, he can play the slot. He can play outside. Uh, so they've got some some pieces there. And on the line, uh, it's tough to say, right, because uh, you got two or three guys coming back. But Josh Braun and Ethan White at the guards, I think, are going to uh, give Florida a little more punch on the interior than maybe they had seen last year. And the whole defense is back, quite honestly, except for – um, you know, Marco Wilson and a couple of interior linemen. So you've got a lot of experience back there, but it's, it's, they're coming off a year where they took a lot of dings, right? I mean, it was not the, the typical Gator defense. So uh, it's time for Brenton Cox to show that he's as good in the run game as he can be in the, uh, in uh, the pass rushing game. Absolutely. I mean, that the kid has all the time in the world. They also landed for interior D-line, uh, Daquan Newkirk out of Auburn, too, going to come down and be immediately eligible, eligible, has some experience playing in the SEC. But, 
you know, Dan Mullen just signed a big extension for the Gators. And in, in this world of like coaching turmoil, I mean, even if you sign an extension, your job's not completely secure. Gus Malzahn fired two years after he signs a massive contract. What are like the expectations for Florida fans? I mean, for this year and the years coming forward, what does Mullen have to do for Florida fans to kind of be like, okay, I'm glad we gave him an extension, no hot seat talk. I mean, what is kind of the tone surrounding campus about Mullen right now as the guy for Florida? Well, you know, they want to get back to where they were when Mullen was the OC here, you know, and they were winning uh, SEC championships and, and chasing national titles as well. And I mean, that, that has to be the goal here. Um, they got a new football facility that's going to open up uh, end of next spring, but they're already selling that vision and showing it to recruits. Um, and that'll help because I think in facilities, they had fallen a little bit behind. Um, but it's, it's win the East, win the SEC every few years, and, and finally getting that college football playoff, which they haven't done. And really last year was the first year that uh, there was serious talk about that you know, late into November before uh, everything unraveled against LSU. So, um, you know, people are satisfied. They understand that, uh, that that Mullen has stabilized things after what they went through with, with Muschamp and, and McElwain. But, you know, three years of stability is, is fine. They want to start putting up banners and, and being in that conversation around New Year's Day. And so, you know, they really don't have the personnel to match up with Alabama and Georgia week in and week out. But you only play them once a year. And last year, you know, Florida wins by two touchdowns in Jacksonville and gave Alabama its best uh, fight of the year from anybody. I mean, you would have thought that Florida game was a, a better national championship game than the Ohio State game turned out to be based on how, how it worked out. So, um, you know, Mullen has this developmental plan down, and, and I think it's just a matter of, of trying to find really one or two more players in each class that are elite. I don't think they have to – to to start over and then sort of you know reinvent the wheel. I think they're just you know take one guy off the back end and elevate one f- high four low five star guy on the on the top over the course of two or three classes. And I think those rosters start looking uh, pretty similar. Absolutely, yeah, they're right, right there. And I mean, it's Florida and Georgia right now in the East. That's the standard over there. But looking ahead to the schedule, it's a tough schedule always. I mean, I, I, we've done all these conferences, but doing the SEC is so tough because everyone's schedule is tough. I mean, Florida, Bama coming into the Swamp Week 3, the road trip to Baton Rouge later in the season, and then, of course, you you have the Georgia game. Um, you got a bye week in between the LSU-Georgia game, which is lucky because playing those back-to-back would have been brutal. But what is your ceiling and or floor for this 2021 Florida team? Well, I mean, you look at uh, Bama coming in, and I think it's a it's a good time for Florida to catch them because it will be Bama's first road game, even though they would have played Miami. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe Bryce Young isn't completely comfortable. Maybe all of his new receivers aren't completely in sync. And, and quite frankly, maybe a few of the offensive linemen aren't, uh, you know, don't have the chemistry that they'll have by the end of the year. Uh, so, so if Florida's got to play Alabama – Week three at home is as good as it's going to get, right? Um, but, you know, they'll be an underdog in that game, I'm pretty sure. Uh, that game, Georgia and LSU on the road, to me, are ones that, uh, you know, if you look at it right now, you say those are those are probably losses. But as for the rest of them, I mean, that, to me, to me, nine and three would be your floor, right? And uh, the only way you win the East is you're going to have to, I think, you're going to have to get 
two out of three of Alabama, Georgia, and LSU because Georgia's crossover schedule with Auburn um, just isn't that tough. So I think I think this is actually a year that if, even if Georgia lost to Florida, they might be able to get to the uh, SEC championship game as a one-loss team, whereas Florida might have two with LSU and Bama on the road. But um, but you know I, I would say nine and three, ten and two. Is is a range for the regular season, unless Emory Jones turns out to be, you know, Justin Fields. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's always a chance nowadays. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a really, really good prediction. I, LSU is just kind of like that big question mark. It's either you're really high on them, or you're like Coachos on the hot seat. Like, there's no in between for LSU right now. But you mentioned Week Three, Alabama. It helps that you know, they're coming into Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, one of the re- most ridiculous environments of college football. I haven't been for a game. I've been in the stadium because I visited because that was my number two school when I was an undergrad. I visited, got to go in the stadium. It looks amazing. I remember when Auburn played back in, I think it was 2019. That was well, I had some friends go, and they said it was the loudest stadium they've ever been to. And even on TV, it was like rocking. So, for the people who haven't been, what makes Gainesville, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, the Swamp, one of the most unique environments on game day? It's one of those stadiums where it just feels like the noise stays inside, you know? I mean, I, I, I don't know if the trajectory is more vertical or what, but with those orange walls and, and things ricocheting around, I was there for the first time in 01 when Rex Grossman and that team thought they were going to be playing for the SEC Championship and – uh and a national championship. And it was the nine 11 year where that Tennessee game got pushed back eight or nine weeks. And so they had to end the season with Tennessee and Tennessee upset them for their chance to win the sec title. And it was, it was as live as I've ever seen the guy sitting next to me in the press box that day, we were using hand signals to communicate. I was like, we needed like a silent snap count. And now they've, you know, rebuilt the press box and, and modernized it in a lot of ways. So it's, it's, it's a cool stadium. Last year was my first year on this beat. We didn't get, anywhere near the flavor, obviously, with 15,000, 16,000 people in that that play. So I'm hungry as heck to, to get it filled up again. Really, the only taste of crowds we got was when Florida went to A&M, and I think they probably put forty or 45,000 in that stadium, and it was rocking a little bit. So everyone's going to be juiced. Uh, the first game against FAU is at night, but that week three game against Bama, assuming Florida is 2-0 and at that point, um, it's going to be uh, eardrum bursting. It it definitely is. This one, like you said, the like I think Florida and LSU with like the orange and the yellow. It just something. It just makes it so much more intimidating. I, I don't I, I don't know what it is, but it works. It's a beautiful stadium. I like the city. We spent like a weekend down there. I love the campus down there. So I, I need to get down there for a game asap. But we, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Talking Florida football with me, but where can our listeners find you? Plug social media, the athletic, anything like that. This is your time. So, yeah, just uh, you know, at G Allen Taylor uh, on Twitter, and you know, the athletic. Uh, lucky to be aboard there. I've I've been with them for two years. My last year covering West Virginia, and then now finally back in the SEC where I uh, where I grew up. Uh, we're like at 1.2 million subscribers, so it's 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 really booming. And um, the thing I like about it is. You know, I grew up watching the Saints and watching Braves baseball and co- and watching SEC football, and I can get it all there. So it's it's one of those few places that you know, you don't have to subscribe to four papers at once. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm bored, man. I, I love it, guys. I, I tell you every time. I think I think you're like our 
probably almost 10th guest from the athletic since we've been doing that. That's, that's like the first site I go to. I'm like, does this team have an athletic beat reporter? So I appreciate you coming on, guys. Make sure to subscribe to the athletic. You already know where to find us. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can find us on any and all podcast streaming platforms. This is our third episode of our SEC in 30 days. We continue it later this week with Missouri, so make sure to tune into that as well. But but for uh, for Alan, for myself, for the Blue Bloods, guys, we are out for right now. <laughs>